Busy. <laughs> really busy. It's packed. Tonight, park reservations. Why there are concerns a new system to reduce crowd numbers could put more people at risk. Plus. You could have killed me and all three of my children. An Alberta family's terrifying experience after visiting BC. Was it an act of COVID vandalism? And. Time is of the essence, which is why it's so important for us to get the word out right now. A stolen last connection to a lost mother and how actor Ryan Reynolds is now trying to help. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us with Staycation, the word of this summer. A new program aimed at reducing overcrowding at six BC parks kicks off tomorrow. Anyone wanting to hike the trails of those parks is now supposed to register online for a day pass. But as Grace Key reports, outdoor enthusiasts say the program could result in more dangerous situations in the backcountry. This is the packed parking lot at Cypress Provincial Park on a Sunday morning. Hundreds took advantage of the hot sunny weekend and headed to the trails. We yeah. got so lucky. There was a car pulling up. Like, yes. <laughs> but I don't know what we would have done. I mean, it's, yeah, it's so busy. This is the first time we've been up here. So, I mean, like, I'm surprised by the number of cars up here, to be honest. Starting Monday, you'll have to log on to reserve a free day-use pass when visiting six of the busiest provincial parks. Mount Robson's Berg Lake Trail, select trails at Garrett. Garibaldi, Cypress, and Mount Seymour, Chief Peaks Trail, and all trails and day-use areas at Golden Ears Park. Passes are released at 6 a.m. for same-day bookings, and some have safety concerns with this system. If you want to tackle a, a difficult hike within one of those parks, you might be out there for 12 hours. So if you want to get back to your car that same day and safely finish before the sun is setting, um, you might want to start at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., which means leaving your house at 4 or 5 a.m., not being at your house at a computer at 6 a.m. waiting to see if you may or may not get uh, the permit to actually go do the hike. Recreationists agree it's difficult to plan your day with same-day bookings. It's not a great system. It kind of crashes before. I've had it crash before. So you have to get up at 6 a.m. to reserve. It's kind of annoying. Have it open about like 24 hours in advance or a couple days in advance mm -hmm. so that you can book up and you can plan your hike or your trip um, instead of just waking up that day and thinking, am I going to go or am I not going to go? The pilot program is meant to manage overcrowding with concerns over social distancing, environmental impacts and packed parking lots. There was like groups of 30 people going up, mm -hmm. like insane, just different things. And so maybe it'll help to do the social distancing a bit more. There's a lot of hidden gems that not a lot of people know about, so it might encourage people to go somewhere else and explore more. Backcountry campers with camping permits are not required to reserve a day-use pass. Park staff will be checking passes upon arrival. Grace Key, Global News. For a second day in a row, people lined up early this morning to stag coveted, coveted parking spots at White Pine Beach and Sasmat Lake. Many drivers were turned away. Metro Vancouver says parking lots and the picnic area at Belcara Regional Park are full. Beachgoers are reminded to respect parking restrictions along roads where fines have been increased. Uh, it's actually crazy. It's only 8 a.m. right now and all the parking lots are full already. Oh, I was almost nearly one of the last. Yeah, it was, uh, I was surprised. Not fun. Yeah. Not fun at all. Uh, well, now it seems like if you're not before 8, you're gone. Like, there's just no space. We try it. We arrived here so early, but no spot. 
Good Samaritans are recounting the chilling moments when they tried to save a young man from drowning at Cultus Lake yesterday. Bystanders and first responders rushed in to help when the man in his 20s began to struggle Saturday afternoon. Bystanders say they saw a group of close to 10 young men swimming in an area of Cultus Lake known to have a sudden drop-off. One man says his family waded in when he saw another man unable to reach two men who appeared to be drowning. My brother-in-law, he jumped, my brother beside him jumped, and then I ran quickly. We were able to get one of them out, and then we see the second guy was just two feet away from him, and then suddenly he just disappeared. There was a RCMP officer uh, in the water. She was trying to find him, and uh, I took her on the boat, and we tried to search all together. We put on goggles, we dived in, but there was no no chance. Unfortunately, he was stuck at the bottom to the weeds and then uh, at the bottom. The man who drowned in Shushwap Lake Thursday is being identified as a junior football player from Edmonton. The Canadian Junior Football League shared a post today mourning the loss of Nathan Felito. He had also played for the West Shore Rebels on Vancouver Island. The 22-year-old disappeared while swimming out to a dock at Canoe Beach. Both Shushwap Search and Rescue and the Royal Canadian Marine Rescue launched an extensive search of the area, but turned up nothing. His body was later recovered by an RCMP dive team. Thousands in the Okanagan packed local beaches, most appearing to keep their distance. The Okanagan Valley is currently under a heat warning that's forecast to last until Tuesday. Temperatures are expected to soar to at least 35 degrees. It's the first real heat of the summer. Meteorologist Yvonne Shaw will have more on that and the forecast for the rest of BC coming up. A nurse from Alberta and her three children managed to escape injury last week after a front tire of their SUV flew off. It happened following a trip to visit relatives in the Okanagan. The family believes the tire's lug nuts were deliberately loosened in B.C. And as Shelby Tom reports, they're now wondering if their Alberta license plate may have made them a target. You should really think twice um, because you could have killed me and all three of my children. A message Krista Paulson has for the vandal she believes loosened the lug nuts on the front tire of her 2006 Honda Pilot, causing it to fly off while she was driving on the Trans-Canada Highway. She says she was traveling home with her three kids to Black Falls, Alberta on July 16th after a three-week vacation visiting her parents in Summerland when she heard a loud rumble and the whole vehicle started shaking. I pulled across one and a half, two lanes, and then my tire went across all three lanes. And yeah, so I managed to pull over without a tire. This is the top of the driveway here where her vehicle would have been parked. Her father, Rick Biglin, says the SUV was mostly parked here other than a trip to the beach. He too believes the lug nuts were intentionally loosened while his daughter was visiting the Okanagan. Luckily, no one was hurt. The results could have been pretty catastrophic. The tires hadn't been changed since last year. The vehicle mechanically inspected just a month before leaving for BC. The family says the vehicle's Alberta license plate was visible from the bottom of this driveway. They're hoping this was a random incident and that they weren't targeted because they were visiting from out of province during the pandemic. You've heard rumors out here, don't go to the Okanagan or BC because they're, you know, mad because of the COVID and they don't want you bringing it to our province. Um, but again, I've also heard that it's just frequently happens in the Okanagan that somebody just loosens lug nuts. 
So many complaints about lucent lug nuts were filed in West Kelowna and Peachland this spring that it prompted police to put out a public warning. Whether a prank or something more sinister, Paulson hopes the perpetrator will be caught and she urges drivers to be vigilant. Check your wheels. Check your lug nuts. Shelby Tom, Global News. The RCMP said it was not able to comment on the case. A woman who disappeared from northern B.C. earlier this month has been found dead and her boyfriend is charged in her murder. RCMP say human remains discovered Friday in a remote area 75 kilometers north of Fort St. John are those of 38-year-old Sarah Ford. Her 35-year-old boyfriend, John Kyler, has since been charged, arrested and charged with second-degree murder. Ford was reported missing on July 10th. She was last heard from by her mother during a phone call on July 6th. Police initially believed that Ford was with Kyler, but when he and his truck were found, major crime investigators were called in to search for her. Kyler is scheduled to appear at court on Tuesday. The provincial government is getting ready to send millions of B.C. drivers a rebate check next May. This comes as the province plans for the switch to no-fault insurance. But the B.C. Liberals say some money should be back in people's pockets now. Richard Sussman explains. It is hard to find anyone who doesn't like a rebate check. ICBC will have some money that they're not entitled to. Those drivers will be receiving refunds from ICBC. That money comes from those who will prepay their car insurance before the province switches to a no-fault system next May. ICBC is now looking for a vendor to issue the refunds to customers and a letter explaining how the refund was calculated. Part of the reforms that uh, ICBC is putting in place will be the ability to do refunds like this more easily in future. Uh, but they are dealing with legacy systems that don't have the ability to do that. And uh, we don't believe it's right that ICBC hold premium dollars that they're not entitled to. But the opposition BC Liberals say it isn't as good as it sounds. The government is in essence buying your support with your own money. This is a political sleight of hand. Essentially, if you bought insurance today, you're going to buy a year's insurance. Uh, you won't need third-party legal liability as of next year. Third-party liability does make up some savings, but the bulk of the savings from ICBC is through a reduction in legal costs. The Liberals also pushing BC to follow the lead of other jurisdictions and give back money saved because of lower crashes while people stayed off the road during the pandemic. Ontario, Manitoba, and many other jurisdictions around North America have already sent out checks to people who need the money today and now. The Liberals will be introducing legislation this week with almost no hope to pass to require pandemic savings get sent back now. The government says it's still assessing the overall pandemic impact, including lost revenues from drivers cancelling insurance while they weren't working. The goal is to send the no-fault rebate checks out next year, from May to July. Well, it's hundreds of millions of dollars that need to be uh, given back to British Columbians because they will have paid, prepaid their insurance under the old system, which was at a higher cost because it's a higher cost system. For those curious how much they may actually save, the province isn't making you wait until the rebate arrives. Starting in January, all ICBC customers and prospective customers will be able to go online and see their rates under the new model. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. An early morning fire in Burnaby is being investigated as a possible arson. Burnaby Fire Department says that when firefighters arrived at Burnco Rock Products on Riverbend Drive just before 8 o'clock, two concrete trucks were fully engulfed. The blaze was quickly put out. There are no reports of any injuries. Vocal activists demonstrated outside the Greater Vancouver Zoo in Aldergrove today. There's no excuse! 
Members of No More Dead Captives protested at the zoo's entrance as police looked on. They said they were demonstrating in memory of a female moose. Photos posted to social media show the animal in poor health. The zoo says the moose had been in declining health for months and a decision was made to euthanize the animal independent of what had been posted online. We have tons of questions. We're demanding answers uh, and we're demanding a return to them being at least partially accountable as far as announcing deaths that have occurred here. If it wasn't for the public finding Moose Leaf's condition, no one would have known about it. When you're dealing with a, a, the slow decline of an animal, it can be very difficult to know when the most appropriate time is to make that decision to put them down. We have a vested interest in in uh, in these animals. We love these animals. The, you know, we wouldn't do anything to harm intentionally to harm them. Now to the heartbreaking theft that's gone viral. A Vancouver woman's backpack has been stolen. Inside, numerous precious items, including one that simply can't be replaced, a teddy bear that has a recording of her late mother's voice. Kristen Robinson has more on the desperate search that's now being helped by a homegrown celebrity. Mara Soriano is on a mission to find a bear. I'm just crushed that I don't have it. Like, it's the most important thing to me. On Friday, she was moving to a new apartment in Vancouver's West End when a friend en route to help her was hit by a van. He was okay, but as Soriano rushed to his aid, she dropped a navy blue Herschel bag similar to this one. Within minutes, it was gone, grabbed by an opportunistic thief. As soon as I saw the video, my heart just absolutely sank. That was one thing that I didn't want to lose. The bag contained an iPad and personal documents, but all Soriano wants is this. The recording on that bear was the last thing I had when she sounded like my mom. The custom-made Build-A-Bear holds some precious words. Hi, Yakimara. No matter where you are, a part of me will always be with you forever. A gift from her mother before she died of cancer last year. She says, Mara, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'll always be with you. And every time I missed her, I would hug that bear and I would listen to that recording. After going public with her plight, Ryan Reynolds, the first celebrity to step up. The Vancouver-born actor tweeting that he'll give five grand to anyone who returns the bear to Mara. Zero questions asked. And it just blew up from there. For anyone. From local media interviews. I just want my bear back. It's the last thing I have of my mom's that reminds me of her. To CNN coverage. Soriano on the trail the whole time, tracking down and sharing surveillance video of a potential suspect in a back alley. No happy ending yet, but knowing that amid soaring temperatures, there's a lot of heat on her missing bear has restored Soriano's faith in humanity. I wish so badly I could tell her about this. Um, I think she would have really loved it and gotten such a huge kick. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A Port Moody couple is trying to solve a mystery, one they discovered in their own home. While checking out their recently purchased house, they came across a box filled with military items, including medals. Well, now they're trying to track down any living descendants of the McKee family. Paul Johnson has the story. Antonio Papalia says it felt like something out of a movie when his father came over to do some work and they made an astonishing discovery. This plywood came down and there was all these boxes 
underneath the stairs. But it was one box in particular that stood out. He said it was like you found the Jumanji treasure <laughs> treasure chest. The box's contents are a hundred-year journey okay. back in time. And then as we started looking deeper into it, um, we noticed that we were finding some medals and some of them were labeled like World War I, World War II. Most of the items appear to be connected to two men, Thomas McKee, who served in World War I, and a younger man, Lawrence Thomas McKee, who fought in World War II. Of the two, it's Lawrence's story that's most apparent. Born in Vancouver, went to John Oliver High School, and served in the legendary Canadian Parachute Battalion that dropped in behind the beaches on D-Day and later won decisive victories in the Battle of the Bulge. It just became more and more apparent that this was not just somebody's family history, it was also I would say part of Canadian history. The Papali has only moved into the home in December. And while neighbors had some information, they've had no solid leads on the McKee family or a way to track them down. Though there's never been any question in their minds about where this box full of history should go. We'd definitely like to find the family uh, to see, you know, to kind of give, give them back their family history. In Port Moody, Paul Johnson, Global News. One of Vancouver's newest parks is leaving visitors a little confused. Have a look. The sign in front of the green space at Granville Street and 57th Avenue simply says, New Park, yours to enjoy. The park sits between two new developments and is flanked by the Shannon Mansion, which is part of the four-hectare estate once owned by B.T. Rogers of Rogers Sugar. The first phase opened four years ago after the park board approved a concept plan for Shannon Mews Public Park. Interesting how people come up with names. I don't know. I uh, I would think maybe something more traditional like Shannon Muse or something would be more appropriate. But New Park is fine too. <laughs> we reached out to the Vancouver Park Board to see if New Park is here to stay or if a new sign will appear with an official name. Haven't heard back yet. There is a call for a brief nationwide strike tomorrow demanding a public inquiry be held into the deadly mass shooting in Nova Scotia in April. 22 people, 13 of them women, were killed following a rampage on April 18th and 19th in central and northern Nova Scotia. The federal and provincial governments announced last week that an expert panel led by a former Nova Scotia chief justice would review the massacre. But women's rights advocates in Atlantic Canada are calling for a public inquiry that examines the rampage through a feminist lens. We've just uh, been speaking ever since, trying to bring in the aspect of the, the femicide and the misogyny and the connection between um, male violence against women and mass shootings. We're asking that um, from a feminist analysis that you look at the position of women in general and the violence that women uh, endure. The strike will last 22 minutes, one minute for each of the victims killed and is set to begin at noon local time on Monday. Fierce face-offs at protests in Seattle, Portland, and other U.S. cities, and now one person has died. Activists and demonstrators are pushing back against police use of force and the Trump administration's deployment of heavily armed, unidentified federal agents. Jennifer Johnson has more. Unrest in Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington overnight as protesters set fires and destroyed property. 
The Black Lives Matter march in Seattle started peacefully, but turned violent as demonstrators targeted the King County Youth Detention Center. Some used sledgehammers to shatter workers' cars. They slashed all four of my tires. They broke my back window out. You know, I, I, just, I just got off work. I want to go home. Police and federal agents used pepper spray and tear gas against the demonstrators. Shots rang out. People can be heard screaming in the streets. In Portland, there have been daily protests against police brutality for two months after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Things had started to quiet down until U.S. President Donald Trump deployed federal agents to the city July 4th. It's horrible. Being tear gassed is horrible. It's painful. They mean it to be painful. President Trump claimed he sent the federal agents to these Democrat-dominated cities to maintain calm and protect the federal courthouse building in Portland. But their heavy-handed tactics have led to solidarity protests across the country. No, you can't have a call. No, you can't have a lawyer. We're just going to terrorize you, terrify you, intimidate the crowd so you don't come out and protest. That's not American. White House officials say federal agents aren't leaving Portland until these demonstrations calm down. We have federal agents there that are protecting a courthouse that actually have has not only been vandalized, but they're trying to burn it down. In many places, tensions are reaching the boiling point. Protesters wanting an end to racial injustice, opponents growing weary of the chaos. In Austin, one protester was shot to death. In Colorado, this car barreled through a group of demonstrators. Protests turned violent in Richmond, Virginia, too. Police in riot gear fired tear gas and rubber bullets to break up the crowd. Anger and frustration still spilling out onto America's streets long after Floyd's death was seen by the world. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. The violence comes as final respects were paid today to civil rights icon John Lewis. The late congressman's casket traveled from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama earlier today. The horse-drawn carriage crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge. On that bridge in 1965, Lewis was nearly killed by state troopers during a civil rights walk on what is now known as Bloody Sunday. His body will lie in repose at the Montgomery State Capitol. He died July 17th at the age of 80. I think a plane just crashed into their house. This is our neighbors. A plane with six people on board crashed into a, the backyard of a home in Utah. A neighbor shot this video of flames engulfing the home in a suburban Salt Lake City neighborhood. Officials say a nine-month-old child, the pilot, and a woman are confirmed dead. A woman who lives in the home the plane hit is said to be in critical condition. Three homes were damaged in the crash. One of the last surviving actors from Hollywood's golden age died peacefully at her home in Paris. 104-year-old Olivia de Havilland was best known for her role in Gone with the Wind. But it was the stand she took off screen that changed the industry forever. Olivia de Havilland was a legend from Hollywood's golden age. A two-time Oscar winner for Best Actress. You're so wrong. Scarlett loves you a She also received a supporting actress nomination for her role as Melanie in Gone with the Wind. Boots and saddles. But it was de Havilland's chemistry with dashing leading man Errol Flynn that created movie magic through the 1940s. But I did adore having Errol Flynn kiss me. The duo appeared in nine films together, including The Adventures of Robin Hood. The most charming and most magnetic and most attractive man I think I've ever met. Yet despite a mutual attraction, they were never a real-life couple. The twice-married de Havilland blamed it on bad timing. Much less magical was her relationship with sister and fellow actress Joan Fontaine. 
rivals as children, estranged as adults, Fontaine beat out de Havilland for the Oscar as Best Actress in 1942, contributing to their lifelong feud. Stop, Mammy, don't tell me anymore. De Havilland also engaged two major legal conflicts. In 1944, she won a milestone case that imposed a seven-year limit on Hollywood studio contracts with performers. More recently, de Havilland failed with a lawsuit objecting to her portrayal in the FX miniseries Feud, Betty and Joan. With 49 films over six decades, de Havilland's career also included presidential honors and the title Dame from the Queen of England. It bespoke a regal dignity that made Olivia de Havilland one of Hollywood's enduring stars. Mark Barger, NBC News. The aftermath of Hannah roaring ashore in southern Texas. The Category 1 hurricane is now downgraded to a tropical depression, tracking it to northeastern Mexico. At its peak, Hannah packed 150-kilometer-an-hour winds and sent punishing waves crashing onto the shoreline. A rescue crew had to pull three people from a sailboat sinking in a marina in Corpus Christi where they'd been trying to ride out the storm. Though weakening, it could drop as much as 450 millimeters of rain in some areas. And Hawaii is gearing up for Hurricane Douglas. The Category 1 storm is weakening and appears to be heading far enough north that it will likely avoid hitting Oahu. But if it does make landfall, it'll be just the third hurricane to do so in Hawaii in history. An unusual sight in northeast England on Saturday. Eyewitnesses shared footage of the funnel cloud on social media after it passed over the north part of Northampton. For a funnel cloud to be classified as a, uh, as a tornado, it has to actually touch the ground. Yvonne knows all about that. And some eyewitnesses say they saw it do so. Well, not your typical rescue. The mountain evacuation that may have Daisy feeling a little sheepish. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. Love the name Daisy. Daisy, so Daisy. cute. Beautiful day. Fantastic. Uh, the heat is on. Uh, we are seeing heat warnings and a special weather statement in effect for much of the southern half of the province. The numbers, how long it will last, I'll have that coming up. But first off, a beautiful shot of English Bay. Temperatures today bumped up to 24 degrees away from the water with the Humidex feeling into the 30s. We're above the average. It sits at 22 degrees, but not quite record-breaking. 28 degrees on the Almanac. And that was set back in 1971. Official sunset this evening will be just after 9 o'clock. Few other areas today, so heating up. Temperatures near Lillooet up to 37 degrees. Trail today into the low 30s. And the northeastern corners with Fort Nelson touching up to 28 degrees. Now, here's a quick glance. Feels like temperatures, especially away from the water, we can see that up to 35 degrees into the Fraser Valley areas near Hope and Squamish right now. The Humidex at 32. Now, we are still looking at a bit of instability, and that's across the northern half of the province. It's been a different weather picture and story over the weekend. Still seeing a chance of showers overnight and for the day tomorrow and then breaks towards the afternoon. The big weather story though for the central and southern half of the province, the heat warning that is in effect and the following areas in grey, that's a special weather statement along the south coast, areas away from the water into the low 30s. We'll see the peak of the heat for tomorrow and then it'll weaken this ridge of high pressure that is in place and it'll be a touch cooler along the south coast.
coast, but that'll be on our Tuesday leading into towards Wednesday, whereas the southern interior, the following areas, a heat warning is in effect. The Fraser, Fraser Canyon, the Okanagan Valley included within that. Now the peak of the heat will be for uh, Monday, Tuesday, and the southeastern corners of the province into the Columbia and Kootenai will see the heat all the way in towards Thursday. So it's very hot and sunny all the way in towards next week, and we can see that on the upper level chart. So south coast, tomorrow one of the hottest days, a touch cooler as we get in towards Wednesday, and then looking ahead towards Thursday, it's the southeastern corners, and then all areas, a bit of a change will be on the way by our Friday and then leading in towards the weekend. So we're still touching into the low 30s on the temperature trend, the southern interior, for example, into Kelowna. The heat is on with the humid exit is feeling even five or eight degrees warmer, and the overnight lows will be down to 18 degrees. Still a few isolated showers across the north coast tomorrow, inland easing off. The northeastern corners, it's just for Fort Nelson, a bit of instability by the afternoon with a slight risk of a thunderstorm. Most areas, though, for the central interior warming up, and we'll see that heat for all areas across the southern half. It's the southeastern corners that will continue to see the heat all the way in towards Thursday. Whistler tomorrow, though, into the low 30s, Merritt up to 37 degrees. South coast, a bit windy if you're closer to the water and a few degrees cooler, but most areas will see that heat into early next week, midweek, even still hanging on to that sunshine. The Humidex tomorrow making it feel closer to 35 degrees. Bit of a change. We could see some cloud cover starting to roll in for Thursday, Friday. Tomorrow, though, still another sunny and hot day. Colleen? All right. Thanks, Yvonne. A new portrait of Queen Elizabeth has been unveiled. The monarch was able to partake in the ceremony virtually to thank staff for their work helping travelers affected by COVID-19 restrictions. Well, I'm glad to have had a chance to see it. Hope I'll see it in real life one day. The portrait depicts the queen wearing a blue knee-length dress and pearls seated on a chair covered in gold leaf in an ornately furnished room with a cup of tea and a vase of mauve roses on a table beside her. It took artist Miriam Escoffet seven months to complete the portrait, for which the queen only sat twice. It will now hang in the Foreign Office's reception building in central London. And staying in England, here's a bit of irony for you. A St. Bernard had to be rescued from the country's tallest mountain when it became too exhausted to continue a hike. The rescue team was sent to bring Daisy down from the nearly 1,000-meter summit in the UK's Lake District. The dog started showing signs of distress and refusing to move, forcing her owners to contact police for help. Daisy ended up being carried down the mountain on a stretcher. The St. Bernard was said to be recovering well after her rescue. Of course, St. Bernards have traditionally been used as rescue dogs in the Swiss Alps. Poor Daisy. That's right, and they have a little barrel of, uh, of neocitron. Booze or something. <laughs> yeah. That's it's it. an old ad. I shouldn't be it advertising, is. but I think that, that was it. Good memory, Barry. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm an older fella. I remember these things. <laughs> what do you got coming up? Uh, well, the Whitecaps are just a couple hours away from kickoff for their uh, knockout playoff match against Sporting Kansas City. Uh, even if you're an optimistic one, it's going to be a tough, uh, tough one to win. But, of course, the Caps are going to give it their all. So we'll hear from Mark DeSantos uh, about that. And uh, Blue Jays action coming up. Some golf. Uh, lots on a Sunday afternoon. A big day for the NHL. Players and staff from 24 teams all entered their bubbles in Edmonton and Toronto today. They'll be back on the ice later this week in exhibition games before the start of the Stanley Cup play-ins before the playoffs. Mike LeCouture has more on what it means to the players and fans. 
How secure is the NHL bubble? Well, you couldn't even catch a glimpse of players arriving at one of their Toronto hotels Sunday. Fences fit for an international summit keep NHLers away from fans. But Yogita Sharma and her son are still excited. This is giving us a ray of hope that they are there, right? So it's giving us a hope that we'll be soon having the session, having the league started. If you wanted to connect with your favorite player, you had to be on social media to see teams making the journey to the two bubble cities, Toronto and Edmonton. The Montreal Canadiens held a virtual send-off party for fans, while Vegas's William Carlson had more of a private goodbye with his pooch. Now, players could be away from home for up to two months, so it's no surprise they've packed everything, from guitars to video game consoles. A lot of video games and Netflix and FaceTiming with, with my dog. There have been jokes about playing in a bubble. This was posted by Habs forward Max Domi. But breaching it is serious, as some NBA players have been forced to quarantine for 10 days after leaving and returning. The NHL won't be allowing that. Leaving the bubble is, is just not something that we can tolerate. Uh, everybody's used terrific judgment to this point, and I know that we can count on everybody going forward. In Edmonton, the famous replica of the Stanley Cup is being polished outside a local sports store while members of the Nashville Predators enter their bubble. Having 12 teams in each hockey-hungry city could attract autograph seekers. And that's likely why the security fences have been installed. Infectious disease experts want fans to remember that just because hockey is back doesn't mean COVID-19 is gone. And we shouldn't be congregating. Uh, together, even if that means to see your favorite hockey player. So physical distancing, hand hygiene, putting a mask on when you're in an indoor environment. And a good reminder that if your team scores, you still can't high-five your friends, unless, of course, they're in your bubble. Mike LeCouture, Global News, Ottawa. Four-time Stanley Cup winner Eddie Shack has died. Shaq was one of the league's most colorful players on and off the ice. He was known for his bruising style, distinctive skating gait, and larger-than-life personality. The Ontario native won four Stanley Cups with the Toronto Maple Leafs, including the franchise's last victory in 1967. Shaq was 83. And Barry's here now with sports and kicking things off with the Whitecaps. Mm -hmm, yeah, a bit of a tall order for them tonight. Thanks, Colleen. Uh, let's be honest, beating Chicago was an incredible accomplishment for this uh, young undermanned Whitecaps team qualifying for the knockout stage of the MLS's back tournament. But to do it again tonight against a quality side like Sporting Kansas City doesn't really seem possible. Sporting is at full strength. They beat the Caps handily 3-1 already this year. Vancouver's literally without a half dozen key players. But the Caps will give it their all. At least they know what to expect from their opponents. Uh, but for sure that there's things that you learn from that game that you, you're going to try to do better. Uh, we see that their tendencies as a team remains the same uh, since they played us and getting in this tournament. And uh, there's not going to be a lot of change there. We're not, I don't think we're going to be surprised by how they play or the principles of their model because it's pretty much uh, consistent on what they do at the club. Uh, and us, we have to do um, a good job in those moments of the game. 
Whitecaps match starts at 8 tonight. Toronto FC on the pitch right now against New York City FC. Fifth minute. And NYC with a quick start. Jesus Medina powers it through Toronto goalkeeper Quentin Westberg. And it's 1-0. New York City. Toronto's had their number in the past. NYC said they want some revenge tonight. Looks like they're getting it. Later in the half, Medina in again, looking for a second. But this time, Westberg, great save to keep TFC in it. 1-0, it remains very early in the second half. Final day of the Premier League season. Big game featuring Leicester City and Manchester United. United simply needing a draw to qualify for Champions League play. Leicester City needed a win. That header by Jamie Vardy hitting the crossbar. He is the golden boot winner with 23, but couldn't get number 24. Anthony Martial of United running hard on the attack, taken down in the box. They actually used VAR to confirm the penalty call, but it is confirmed it is a penalty. Yellow card for Johnny Evans as well. Bruno Fernandez, the little stutter step, scores to put United up 1-0. They only need a draw, so that's a huge goal for them. Late in stoppage time, Kasper Schmeichel with the ill-advised move there. Jesse Lingard steals it and seals the deal. 2-0 final. United salvaged their season in a big way. Six wins, three draws in the restart. Their Champions League bound. Leicester will miss out their fifth. Frank Lampard and Chelsea taking on Wolverhampton today. A Chelsea victory earns them a Champions League berth. Just before the opening half is out, Chelsea comes to life. Two quick goals, including this one. By Look at this play by Giroud. Little back heel to himself. Brilliant goal. 2-0 the final. Chelsea finish fourth and they join Man United, Man City and Liverpool in Champions League next year. The battle to avoid relegation, the other main storyline, Aston Villa needed at least a draw, facing West Ham and they got it. Captain Jack Grealish unleashing the heavy blast and that was the uh, big goal. It did end up 1-1 but they do stay there in the top league, Burnmouth, Watford and Norwich City relegated today. Baseball action, Blue Jays and Rays from Tampa. They split the first two games of the restart season. Jays up 2-0 in the sixth and then add to it. One of their great young players, Bo Bichette, solid single through the left side. Two more runs score. Blue Jays lead 4-0, but they can't hold it. They had two outs in the bottom of the ninth. No one on in a 4-2 lead, but Tampa loaded the bases and then tied it on this infield hit. Runner is safe just by... An inch at first base, so it's 4-4. They go to extra innings. The Jays got one in their half of the 10th to go up 5-4, but then Tampa's Kevin Kiermeyer will rip one to the wall in right field. Tying run scores, winning run will score as well as the Rays beat the Jays 6-5-10. and 10. Toronto now 1-2 and two on the season. The Mariners, though, won their first over Houston. Raptors playing their second warm-up scrimmage tonight in Orlando, taking on Portland. The new lighter and leaner, Marcus Gasol, in the lineup. Played about 10 minutes. OG Ananobi looking real good. What a move here. Basket in the foul, going to the left hand. But Portland led 54-49 at the half. But the Raps took over in the second half. Their depth second to none. They can go 10 to 11 deep. Serge Ibaka, one of those key guys off the bench with the dunk there from OG. Kyle Lowry looking as fit as ever at age 34. And he drains the long three. 77-67 Toronto in the fourth. Matt Thomas, one of those bench guys, such a pure shooter, will drill the three. Raptors take it 110-104. They'll play one more scrimmage Tuesday versus Phoenix before restarting their season next Saturday against LeBron James and the Lakers. 
Canadian Elite Basketball Tournament tipping off in St. Catharines, Ontario. Fraser Valley Bandits out of Abbotsford playing the Edmonton Stingers in their opener. Bandits uh, in orange. Cameron Forte, strong move. What else with a name like Forte? 28 points, 10 boards. Kyle Johnston hits the jumper. Bandits led 59-42 at the half. Abbotsford's own Merrick Klassen with the drive here. You can count it and the foul. Bandits win it easily, 113-100. Next game Tuesday versus Saskatchewan. The CEBL will crown a season champ two weeks from today. Final round of the 3M Open from Minneapolis. Tony Finau, 29 top 10s in the last four years, but no wins in that stretch, and it was a similar story. This week makes the bomb birdie, was tied for the lead, but ended up tied third. Another good payday, but still just the one win in his PGA Tour career back in 2016. Veteran Michael Thompson looking for his second PGA Tour win. His first was back in 2013, but this is a great shot from the bunker on the short par 4 16th. To a couple of feet, he would make the birdie there to take the lead by one. And then on 18, with a one-shot cushion, goes out in style. Sinks the 15-footer for birdie. Michael Thompson takes the 3M Open, 19 under a two-shot win. Ontario's Michael Gidjelik finished tied for 26th after a 6 under 65 today. Time now for our nightly thanks to our BC Healthcare heroes. Yvonne, who is it tonight? Tonight we are honoring a team nominated by Sandra Wyatt. Thank you to the pediatric floor at the University Hospital of Northern BC in Prince George. Some of the team that's included in this photo are nurses, social workers, care aide, a unit clerk, a medical health cl clinician, and a child life specialist. Together, the team has worked with some of the smallest patients and their families. So thank you, Sandra, and your team for all that you do, especially during the pandemic. If you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few pictures to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they are your hero. Nice, thank you. Okay. How about a, a little pig, or make that a, a big one for that matter, with your downward dog? An animal sanctuary in the Fraser Valley is giving a whole new meaning to hot yoga again this summer with a porcine-inspired program. It's yoga with a big twist and a, a big twirly tail, too. Um, we have a yoga instructor who comes, and we, right now we've got about 12 people taking the class because of COVID. This is what yoga with piggies looks like and it's exactly how you might imagine it the happy herd farm sanctuary in aldergrove came up with the idea as a way to raise donations for their nonprofit charity which saves abused and neglected animals the event now in its third year and it's by far the most lucrative fundraiser for the farm mm -hmm. the classes are mutually beneficial yogis get a unique exercise experience and the friendly pigs well, they get some human companionship it's a must-do. <laughs> could cross it off my bucket list now. <laughs> They're so friendly and gentle, and you can feel it in them how gentle they are, and they just love the, the, rub, the belly rubs, and it's really neat. They look well-fed, that's for sure. <laughs> and Diane from the farm there, she said, well, the pigs don't actually have anything to do with the yoga. They're just kind of, they like hanging out, and they're fun. All right, I'm signing us up, three of us. <laughs> well, they invited us to come, but I said, I'm busy working on the newscast. <laughs> Next year Next for time. sure. Next time. Next year for sure. That is it for the news hour for tonight. Sarah McDonald is here at 11. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night.